0: So we are in the midst of a series, we've been on for a while now, um, looking at how do you live in a culture that's breaking down? What does it look like to be, to be a faithful Christian in a world that is kind of like spinning out of control in lots and lots of ways? And we concluded there's a particular book of the New Testament that would be really worth knowing and understanding. You guys remember what it is? First Peter. First Peter. Okay. And what is the theme of First Peter? What is the, what's the driving message of Peter's letter doesn't show up until chapter 2, but it's really the point of the whole thing. Do you remember what it is? Hope. Um, hope is a subset. There is a, there's a there's there's a a specific exhortation that Peter gives. It's in chapter 2. I think it's verse 11 if you look at it. Sojourner. Yeah, there you go. Is it 9, 9, 10, 11? It's right in there. What, how does it go, Ray?
1: Sojourner. Starting
0: with 9? Uh, sure. I should have looked this up, but I don't remember. 9, 10, 11, some of them around there.
1: I love it. I urge you as sojourners in heaven.
0: Exiles. They love it. That's it. I urge you to live as aliens and strangers, as sojourners, as exiles. And the whole book is basically how to be weird. We, in a, in a world that is, that is losing its mind, we should be different. And uh, he walks through from that point on, from chapter 2 all the way through the end, he's just kind of giving us specific applications. So what does it look like? What does faithful Christianity look like? And they're going to think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. But you're going to need to do it anyway. But prior to that, prior to this, this exhortation to go be strangers, he offers us he points us to three resources that we have. And you guys have already mentioned one of them. They're the three livings of the, of the first section of chapter 1. What are the three living things that we have that are going to resource and equip us to live like strangers, to aliens, exiles, sojourners? Living
1: hope.
0: living hope. And that's what we did last week, which is why that was on your mind. Living word, living... Word, living stone. Very good. Living hope, living word, living stone. And so last week we talked about the living hope. Today we're going to talk about the living word. So let's take a look. I'll read you this passage that is kind of the bullseye of the living word. It's First Peter 1 verse 22. He says this, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, that whole, segment, the whole thing is all about word. Lots of implications. We'll try to like pull some of those out. But before we do, what does the word word mean in the Bible? When we talk about the living word, there's Depending on how you count it, there's five or six options for how the scriptures uses the phrase word. Logos, in the New Testament and oh shoot. I've, what is it? Rhema. Grandma.
1: Grandma?
0: Rama. Rama? Okay, I was thinking it was like more like there's another word that I was just looking at in Hebrew. Rama? That's there's probably. Okay, well, whatever it is. There's language for the word in English. We'll just do this in English. That's just the language that I speak. So, um, uh, what does the word mean? What are the what are the ways that, that term is used in the Bible? Okay, so go ahead, first.
1: There's, uh, first, here's uh, the gospel. of John, uh, in the beginning was the word.
0: Yes, okay, first John, John 1, one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In that instance, what does it mean? Jesus. Yeah, the second person of the Trinity is the word. Okay, so that's interesting, okay? And then I think you said something else, Bob. Scripture. Scripture, okay? So sometimes when we, when we hear the word, word, it means, really means the Bible. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Isaiah 8 maybe is one really clear example of that. Isaiah 8 says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And he's calling the law and the testimony, he's calling the Old Testament the word. This is the word. Very good. Where else? How else does it get used? Second person of the Trinity, the Bible. What else? There's, a, there's actually a, a, a whole slew of them. Are we, are we blanked? You got nothing? How about this? How about the, the actual spoken word of God? So when God says, let there be light, you might say, well, that's Bible. Well, it was written down as Bible, but first it was just God actually speaking, Right? So there's, the, sometimes the word is God's verbal expression, right? You get that. You've also got, does that, does that jog anything? You've also got, um, when, when it says over and over again in the, in, the, in the prophets, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. That's neither scripture, nor is it some spoken language. It's, well, what is that one? It's a vision, right? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and by some means, God has communicated something to him. And there's at least one more way that we use the term the word in the Bible. Can you think of anything else? Brad?
1: When prophets speak about Thanksgiving.
0: Okay, so you could say yes. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and then he turns around and gives verbal utterance to it. Yes, that's another. So it's not just the written scripture, but Jeremiah, is, Isaiah is standing in some street corner saying some weird thing. Hear the word of the Lord. This is that. Excellent. Very, very good. Although there's so as I said there's a couple ways you can count it. There's at least one more that um, we could hit. And if you look at this one, go to Acts thirteen forty nine. New Testament, Acts thirteen forty nine. <clears throat> What does this one mean when it says the word of the Lord spread through the whole region? What does it mean there? Does it mean they were passing out Bibles? No. No, it's not Bible. Does it mean that God was walking around giving verbal utterance to everybody? Does it mean the second person of the Trinity was walking through you know Asia Minor? What does it mean?
1: Teaching concerning uh, Jesus and spreading.
0: That's right. It's, it's the, go- the message, the gospel message is being, is being spread around, right? So when you see words, lots of different ways. It is sometimes the spoken word, sometimes the second person of the Trinity, sometimes it's the gospel message, sometimes it's prophetic knowledge. It might be the written word. Here, what do you think it is here? When Peter says, We were given, here he is, verse 23 you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and they're glorious like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. What's, what do you think he means there of this menu that we've just kind of seen? Are these hard questions, you guys, just in a shy mood? What do you think? Is it is It, it could be, I, my guess would be it's a few things that are braided into that probably not the second person of the Trinity, probably not prophetic utterance. I think he's he's talking about chiefly two things. This gospel message of Acts thirteen, that the word is spreading. It's the, the story of Christ, and also the written the written word. Peter has a very high view of scripture, these recorded promises from God. We saw we talked about this in Second Peter one. But whatever it is, he's he's the and these these this set of ideas, they not they don't exist in tension with each other. They're all saying the same, ultimately the same thing. There's a, there's an agreement between what the Son of God says, and what the what the Spirit has told the prophets to say, there is an alignment between this gospel message and the written record of Jesus' life and teachings. Right? So we're all going in the same way, and I think Peter is grabbing kind of that that bundle of things. I would say chiefly the gospel message and the written word has enormous power. There's something unique and special about it. So tell me, what are we're going to take a, play a little bit of um, kind of build this out together? What are some of your favorite passages in the Bible? about the Bible. Where can you think of the scriptures that speak about the scriptures? Where does the message itself affirm itself that's maybe had some shaping
1: influence in your understanding of things?
0: Favorite Bible passages on Bible. Okay, so, so Bob, what is Psalm 119? Can you tell us about it?
1: Well, it's the longest chapter of the Bible.
0: It goes on forever, <laughs> yeah. When you're, do, when you're doing you your, like, through the Bible in a year, and you're like, Psalm 119, you're like, oh, gosh. This is going to be, like, this is going to take me 30 minutes. each
1: eight verses in the Hebrew language go through the Hebrew. That's right. There's 23 sections of eight verses, but the verse that keep in mind is your word is a lamp.
0: be Yeah, so Psalm 119 has about, I don't even know, 250 verses or something. And I think there's one or two that don't mention the Bible, but, but almost every single verse says your law is, your testimony is, your word is, your precepts are, and it's just a great big song of praise to the Bible. So it's just jam-packed full of love and adoration and the attributes of Scripture. So Psalm 119 is a great place to go. Did I hear Fetz? No, Taylor and Fetz. Taylor? I was going to say Deuteronomy 6, the Shema prayer. Why do you like the Shema? Why would that be appealing to you? <laughs> I don't know. I just read it one day. That was cool. Okay, great. Alex married a man whose last name is Shema, just for the record. So or Al- Taylor, Taylor, Taylor married Alex, Shema. Um, and yeah, yeah so, so can you quote it again? Or c- you may have said that already. What is it? Uh, it
1: starts to like, keep this book of law forever on your lips, like teach it to your children.
0: Yes. Yeah, basically it's like you need this. Teach your kids. You walk down the road and you're tucking them in bed and you're sitting their Little League games. Like, speak this to them. We right, desperately need it. Excellent. Fetz and then Brad. Fetz.
1: Jesus meets the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, yeah. and he shares all the scripture concerning himself.
0: Yeah, this is a favorite passage of mine. It's Luke twenty-four. Jesus is walking down the street with disciples, but they're not like the twelve; they're kind of like the second-string disciples. And it's just this amazing scene where they're walking down the street after. Well, it's after the, they know it's after the crucifixion. What they don't know, or at least they don't believe, is that it's also after the resurrection. Uh, And they've heard rumors. Some of the women were talking some nonsense about seeing him alive, but whatever. And they're just despondent. As they're walking down the road, he is present with them, but he's hidden from their sight. And they're like, yeah, we thought he was the one, but he died, so I guess he's not. And then he says, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe. Don't the prophets say that the Messiah must suffer many things? And it says, and he began to explain to them all that was written in the scriptures concerning himself. And what is, what's so beautiful and amazing about that is in this very moment, he is present with them, but hidden from their sight. And he's showing them that all throughout the scriptures, he is present, but hidden from their sight. That the whole book is about him. That every story you've read, they're all about him. And that, that concept is absolutely captivated me. That all of the scriptures are pointing us to Christ. And if we can just learn to read it and see it, it's always revealing him. And my my hope is that if we can learn to read the scriptures and see that what he says also in John 5 which is a very similar concept, Jesus says to the, um, not to his friends but to these guys that are oppositional to him, he says you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And I think that if we can learn to see that he is present but hidden in the scriptures, we can develop the skills to do that, then that gives us a pretty big leg up to discover that he is present but hidden in our lives as well, just as he was on the road to Emmaus. And that would be one of the most amazing Bible studies to ever go to, to have Jesus teaching how all these things pointed to him. Um, If you had a time machine and you spoke Aramaic, that would be the thing to do right there. If you only had a time machine, it would be very disappointing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't understand a word of it. Okay, Brad.
1: Uh, Hebrews four twelve says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart.
0: That's so good, and that's that's very similar to what Peter is saying, right? Because because that we're here in this path in Hebrews four. Is the same as in First Peter that the word is living, right? There's, what, so what does that mean? Let's, let's, let's take a second. We're living hope, living word, living stone. Hebrews four is going to say it's a living word. What does that mean that it's the word is alive?
1: Well, the last part of that is what just jumps at me concerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It makes me think of the verse that says your heart is more deceitful than anything. Yes. So only the word of God can actually reveal what the true. Yes, that's right.
0: That's right. And so it's not a dead book. It's not just inert. There's something magic about it. There's something, the Bible is not merely passive to be read, but it's an active instigator in our lives. That's so, it's strange. Like when you read the Bible, the Word of God is in total sync with the Spirit of God. And that's actually another interesting phenomenon we we might look at, and maybe we'll do that now, that... It's not just a book. When an author writes a book, he writes down his thoughts and sits there, and it's dead ink on dead paper, which are dead trees, and they're just sitting there. Not so with Scripture. There is an active ingredient. It's it's not inert. It has some power to like affect and change and to challenge and to convict. And I really think that the reason the Word is alive is because the Spirit is alive. Um, I wonder, have you ever noticed that the Word of God and the Spirit of God, have we talked about this here? That the Word and the Spirit are often used interchangeably in the Scriptures? Have we we looked at this? That if you go through and you see, um, well, this one here, that we're born. So here's a great example. So in Peter, um, it says that, where does it go again? Uh, Look at 1 Peter 1.23. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Through the living and enduring word of God. Okay? So by what agency, according to Peter, are you born again? This is the easy question. By the, living. By the word of God. Okay? But if you, were to ha- if you were to overhear a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3, by what agency are we born again? The Holy Spirit. If you go back to John 3, he's like, no one could be born instead of water and the Spirit. The Spirit, you know, flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth. And he's basically saying it. Jesus says the Spirit of God is what made you be born again. Peter's saying, well, it's the Word of God that made you be born again. Well, which is it? And the answer is Yes. yes, right? It's both. It's all of this. If you go through, here's another quick one. I may have showed you this. Forgive me if this is redundant to you. But go to Ephesians 5. This, this, thing is just, this idea recurs, and I think it gives good insight into what it means that the word is alive. Um, if you read through Ephesians, he says, um, where will we pick it up? Go to Ephesians 5, and we'll just pick it up, verse 18. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms hymns spiritual songs sing and make music in your heart to the lord always giving thanks to god the father for everything in the name of our lord jesus christ and then he gets into the wives and husbands and children and you know this whole kind of like ordering society kind of thing okay ephesians has a parallel anybody know what the what the parallel book to ephesians is colossians. it is colossians so paul wrote the letter to the church in ephesus then he wrote a letter to the church in colossae and if you go through, if you read one and then the other, you'll see like, oh, okay, same, it's the same outline, just some kind of different particulars. So keep your finger in Ephesians 5, and then go over to Colossians, I think it's going to be Colossians 3 is where this is going to parallel. And it, the easiest thing to do is going to be to find in verse 18, you see where it's wives submit to your husbands, husband love your wives, children obey your parents. Okay, that's the parallel to Ephesians 5, you get the whole wives and children, wives and children, all that kind of thing going on here. Right before that, right before that in in Colossians, he says, um, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach it and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Is that familiar? We just read it 30 seconds ago. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, wives, submit your husbands, and so on. Okay, This is where these arguments that click, 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 click. But there's a difference. Is it really a difference? So, in go back to go back to Ephesians. Right before they're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, what are we to be filled with? In Ephesians five eighteen, Spirit. the Spirit. Come back to Colossians three. Right before we have um, all of this language about psalms, hymns, and spiritual th- psalms. Something something else is filling us in verse sixteen. What is it? Wow. The word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So in Ephesians, we're filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, were filled with the Word. In John 3, we're born by the Spirit. In 1 Peter, we're born by the Word, right? And you could even see it all tied together. Go back to Ephesians one more time. And after this whole movement, he goes into the, um, the, the, the armor of God. And he says, let's see, go down to chapter 6. Uh, there's all these different items. Pick it up, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see how they're meant, they're like, this is why it's alive, because the, the sword of the Spirit, the thing that the Spirit is using, and again, sword, sharper than a 2 edged sword, is dividing things. The one wielding the Word is the Spirit. So when you are all alone reading your Bible, you're not all alone. They're the one who wrote it, is alive in you to enable you to read it and not just understand it, but to be changed by it. He is the one that is convicting you. And the sword, the tool, the thing that He's using in your life is Scripture, which is why the more Bible you memorize, the more time you spend in the Scriptures, the more fuel you will, if you will, you're giving to the Spirit to bring about transformation in your life. You're just loading coal into the furnace, right? So that, that He can do with as He pleases. Kelly? Hi, John 17, 17 says,
1: Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. But we also know that sanctification is the word of the Spirit.
0: That's right. Excellent. So Kelly's saying that the John 17, Jesus prays and he says, Lord, sanctify them by your, where, sanctify them by your spirit. Your, or, how does it go? Sanctify them by
1: you
0: know, your, word, your word, your word, by the truth. I couldn't find that. By the truth, your word is truth. And the, and the Spirit is the one who is the sanctifying agent. So, you should always see whenever you're dealing with the Word of God, you're necessarily dealing with the Spirit of God. He is the one who is alive. He is the one who's wielding the sword. Really, really sharp sword. So, yes, Hebrews 4. Thank you, Brad. Okay, what else? Other favorite passages on the Bible? Yeah, John.
1: Uh, there's Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. How does that go? But know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God.
0: That's right. All right. They were carried along by the Spirit. And what, what Peter is getting there is what well, we would, if you want to kind of categorize this, we'd call this dual authorship. So if I were to ask you who wrote Romans, what would you say? Paul, and I would give you partial credit, right, because he didn't write it alone, right? The Spirit of God was writing Romans through the agency of Paul, and we don't believe in dictation. We don't believe that Paul just sat there inert and ignorant while the Spirit shaped his pen, right? Rather, we would say that all of his life, all of Paul's life, God was bringing him through experiences. He was putting him, he was sovereignly bringing him into a conversation where he would learn something that would stick in his head, he was bringing him through experiences that would make the scriptures come alive. He was teaching him stuff. He went. He had a teacher named Gamaliel, who was like it's like going to Harvard. He was like the greatest rabbinical teacher of his day, and Paul was trained by him. It's really curious. I think I was a lead a Bible study with a bunch of men at, at Holy Spirit, and we were, look, we're, were We're studying Romans right now, and we're we just got into like the weird, controversial, difficulties. to get your head around passages on election in Romans. 9 and 10 in particular, 11, um, where, where it, it seems unavoidable that, that he's saying that God is sovereign in salvation, that the only reason anybody chooses him, chooses God, is because God first chooses him. And if, if you run through that, if you're reading, reading Paul, and some people don't like these arguments, and so they try to like, well, I don't think that's what it means, or whatever else. Listen, <clears throat> even if nobody in the history of the world was saved Calvinistically, Paul was saved Calvinistically, okay? Paul wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and Jesus chose Paul. And then, curiously, God chose Paul to be the guy that writes about how salvation comes to be. Okay? So, when Paul is writing Romans, the Spirit's not just saying, hey, write this down. But Paul is drawing on his own experience of salvation in which he knows no question that God reached into his rebellious life and said, believe, now go, right? And so that, that should impact the way we understand it, right? That Paul is drawing on real life experiences that the Spirit of God has brought him through. And so he was, quote, carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? Brad?
1: Yeah, I think that's also a real strong sub-theme in First Peter, isn't
0: it? Election? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, truth is, I mean, it's it's a, sub, it's a strong sub-theme in Scripture. It's everywhere. So, uh, yes. I mean, he he opens his letter. He's writing to the elect. Are you are you thinking of a particular passage?
1: And there's chosen, chosen, chosen all the way through. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's very. I mean, th- there's 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 a lot of philosophical struggle with with the doctrines of God's sovereign grace, and I and I get that. I used to I used to hate this. When I, when I first heard this stuff taught, I was like, this is insanity. Um, but I don't think it's insane anymore. I think it's our only hope. Because another strong sub-theme in the scriptures is that nobody, nobody is ever going to choose to worship him. There's something broken in us. That we hate the light. We love the darkness. We're slaves to sin. We're dead in our sins. That unless he sovereignly overrides my rebellion, I'm going to continue in it. And so I'm grateful for the doctrines of, that override my sin because my, my sin is such a, so powerful. So, but this is not a class on that. We'll do that another time. So, um, but the Word of God, living and active, um, it's it's carried along by the Holy Spirit. What are other passages on the Bible? Yeah, Tommy?
1: Ephesians 6, uh, where it's talking about the armor of God. Yep. I enjoyed it because, in particular, it talks about the shoes um, of the readiness given by the gospel of peace, as well as the sword um, Yes. The word of God. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting that two parts of this armor um, are actually through the Word.
0: Yes, that's right. And so this whole the whole foot thing, he's drawn that from out of a, a lot of this the, this language, the the. Um armor of God is all being drawn from Isaiah and the idea is that because, because we're armed with the gospel message, we're ready to go right how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news right and so that, that word that we're bringing in that sense is really more of that acts 13 words and the word of the Lord spread throughout the region and so it comes and it rescues us but it, we're not the terminus of this thing it doesn't come to me and then stay here it comes to me on the way to somebody else so let's go and let's go and tell them this' is absolutely true okay Bob
1: Timothy 316.
0: Okay, this that took a long time to get to Second Timothy. This is a big one, right? This is a very, very well-known passage. Second Tim 3:16. Can you can you recite it? For every good work. That's right. So Second In case you couldn't hear, Second Tim 3:16 is, um, is. In fact, take a look at it because there's a little bit of context to it. As um, Timothy, or as Paul is talking about Timothy's kind of childhood and the role that his mom and his grandmother had on his life. So we'll just give it, give it a little bit of a bigger chunk. Um, let me go to verse 14. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy had a Greek father, probably wasn't a believer, but he had a, a Jewish mother who was a believer, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a believing grandmother, and from his earliest days, they were reading Bible to him, teaching him Old Testament, and when the time was right, the Spirit set the hook. So the Bible has enormous usefulness um, even in the lives of children. All the way up through our all of our lives. And it is God breathed. What does that phrase mean? That it is God breathed in 316. Okay, so it's interesting. So we get a couple of things going on here. So the word breath is pneuma, it's the same as spirit. Spirit, wind, breath. So in some way, some sense it is. The spirit of God was being invoked here. There's another sense, and when we say that it is God breathed, Brett.
1: It makes me think of creation when God breathed into yes. the, these, you know, unliving things, and they came to life.
0: That's right. So God breathes into the, into man's nostrils, and he can't, becomes a living being. Very good, Lily. Oh, um,
1: sorry, pre tangent. Actually, I actually wanted to answer a question that you were asking earlier, like why why is I don't know what about the cleansing of the heart, about the word and the spirit being interchangeable, and why this makes a difference. What makes the spirit living? It's the creative power of God. True. Right. back to Genesis, so it is the only thing that brings transformation. Yes. Our-
0: and and so God has some so some ability. God has all ability. God, when God speaks, when God says, "Let there be light," nothing argues, right? It just it just. His spoken word is is a word of power. When he says that something ought to be, it be, it comes to be, right? And so when the when the scriptures are God breathed, breathing is speaking is an act of breathing, right? All you're doing is forcing a column of air and you're just interrupting it with like your tongue and your vocal folds and stuff, right? So God's breathing his word, he's God speaking his word, is his declarative power to say, let it be. And is what he does. It Here, here's a great picture of this where it happens. Go to go to 2 Corinthians 4. This is God's Paul picking on God's creative power in Genesis and then applying it into our lives. Second Chronicles chapter, not Chronicles, what is it? That's it. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says, "The God of this, chapter 4 verse 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Okay, this is what we're talking about, depravity. This is like, you're, you have no hope. You're blind. You can't see it. But look at verse 6. God who said, quote, let light shine out of darkness. When did he say that? Right, this is Genesis 1, right? Let there be light. When God who said let light shine out of darkness has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So in the same way that God said let there be light and there was light in darkness, he comes into a dark heart and says let there be light. Even though you're blind and you can't see, his just his spoken power produces life. And his word is the capturing of that power. Right? So when he says, when this word is God-breathed, we're invoking the spirit of God for he's the one who carries it along. We're invoking his, his, his power to create. All, there's all this stuff going on. And so you, this book that might sit on your coffee table for too long is filled, teeming, bubbling with life. And it contains, as Peter says in Second Peter, everything you need for life and godliness, if you would just know him, know his precious promises. It's all in there, which is why layer by layer for the rest of our days, you know, 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, bit at a time, we lay it down and the treasures become more and more available to us. Okay, one or two more. Favorite passages on Bible? Yeah, Bill? Okay. So Luke Luke chapter four, Jesus is teaching and he and he unrolls the scroll and he reads this passage. Um, is it the about binding up the poor and the brokenhearted and uh, is it, it i think it's that right? It's it's
1: the scripture is the spirit of the Lord.
0: All of this promise that, hey, the good, the good times have come. And then Jesus says, it's fulfilled in me. Okay, which is, a, that kind of fits into this set of Luke 24. That Jesus tells him all that's written in the scriptures concerning himself. And John 5, you study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Luke 4, right, He's, he is the fulfillment of it. He's the fulfillment of all of these pictures. And so again, the word of God who is the second person of the Trinity, and the word of God, which is the written record of God's thoughts, are not so different after all. All of these uses, it all makes sense. They all kind of cohere because it's a revelation of him. John?
1: When Jesus read that passage from Isaiah in the synagogue, yeah. it's interesting at the point at which he stops. He stops with him proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. He does not continue on to the part and the day of God's vengeance.
0: How interesting! So as he's he's saying, so what John is saying is that Jesus' quote there is somewhat excerpt, excerpted, and he stops before the judgment comes. So what what do you think is what is that telling to you?
1: Jesus uh, Jesus came initially, and we're still in that initial coming to exa- explain uh, uh, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord a very long period of time. Yes, and we're still living in that acceptable of the Lord, yes. but today will come eventually. Uh,
0: he will come a second time not to bear sin. Yeah,
1: and the day of God's vengeance will come, sure. but not yet.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. His, his justice will be made manifest, but per John 3, he's not come to, to, to bring judgment, but to bring mercy. That there will be a judgment, for sure. Shema? Uh,
1: another passage on the word of James, when he talks about being a hearer in the doer of the Lord. Yeah, that's this is the analogy of a mirror.
0: Yes, that's great. Yeah, and, and uh, in James, and he says basically, if you look at the law and then you walk away, and it doesn't change you, you're like a man who looks in a mirror. You know, your hair's a mess, and you're like, eh, and off you go. You know, and we're not to be that way. We are. To, we're not to be merely hearers of the word, but we are to do what it says. What does it teach me? What promises do I need to believe? What actions do I need to take? What do I need to stop doing? All of that. He says, uh, James says this, another thing from James 1. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Similar to what, what, John, what Peter says, right? We're born again by the word. But the word is a thing, is this, is this agent. Okay, so lots of stuff. Anyone more that you're sitting on? Okay, Jennifer, you get the last one. It's not a
1: So she was writing everything, and it just made me think. Now that you have the word, but when she was able to use her breath, it gave life to the word. Yeah, that's right. And so I just—that was a thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 of course, God's power Uh is is infinite, and what He can accomplish with His word, with His breath, is He can create worlds. He can redeem lost people. He does all things through it. Okay, so let's take a look at Peter. What does Peter, you guys did a great job, broad scripture on scripture. What does Peter point out? Just take a look. Look for, you know, I don't know, maybe the adjectives here. What are the things that he specifically draws to our attention about the word that might be helpful for us to know and embrace as we are preparing ourselves to live lives as aliens and strangers? All of this in the context of being aliens and strangers. Let me see.
1: Any chapter we're
0: looking at? Yeah, yeah. So in this First Peter, let's see, what are the verses? 1 Peter 1, 22, to chapter 2, verse 3. So 1 Peter 1, 22 to 2, 3 is his section on the living word. So thanks, Fetz. Um, what, what do you see there that he says, this is what you need to know about this thing? It's forever. Forever. That's huge. Who said that? Where was that coming from? Yes, okay, the foreverness of it. Right. He said, and he calls it, what are the you guys, what are the tags that he uses to give it this this sense of its permanence? It endures forever. It endures forever. Imperishable. It's imperishable. Incorruptible. Bide. Say it again. Abide. It's okay, it abides. Very good. And what is he contrasting it with? The grass withers. The flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our imperishable seed is different. This is perishable seed, but this isn't that. This is imperishable seed. I feel like I buy for my lawn, apparently, perishable seed, because every time you guys ever like overseed your lawn, and you're like, well, that was a wasted, yeah, okay. So this is not that, right? Yeah, the weeds come, dandelions, those suckers are there. But, but imperishable seed, I would like some imperishable seed. Okay, so there's a permanence. Everything's transitory. Everything's, you know, fading. But not this. This book is going to be true in a thousand years. Now, if society lives another thousand years, in a thousand years, there are going to be parts of this book that look like total idiocy to the people of that day. But it'll be different from the total idiocy of this day. Have you noticed that? Like every, you're, don't, don't be blinded by your, your current time frame. The things that people say, the Bible's so stupid, they believe X, Y, Z. A thousand years ago, it was a completely different set of complaints. And a thousand years hence, they're not going to mind the stuff that they mind today. But They're going to mind something altogether different. And the Bible, the Bible is this anvil. You can smash it with a hammer in every generation, and it's not going anywhere. Right? It's just going to stay it's going to be it's it's never going to perish but everybody's going to be sw- taking a swing at it what else it's enduring it's permanent it's all those kind of things it's good news it is good news it's magnificent news right and this is this is a challenge let me ask you this is the gospel good news for homosexuals yes
1: yes yes
0: is the gospel good news for adulterers yes yes, yes. Is the gospel good news for people who haven't heard it yet? Yes. Yes. And so we... Good
1: news for politicians.
0: Yeah. Is the gospel good news for crooked politicians? Okay. Yes. Right? And so we must tell them it's good news. Sometimes we can act like, well, I don't want to get into that with them because, I don't know, it'll, it'll, it'll be bad news for them. The fact that it's good news, by the way, doesn't mean it smells good you know this? We smell like Jesus, which means to some we are the fragrance of life, and to others we are the stench of death. So it is of our message. And Paul's like, hey, listen, who is equal to such a task? That's hard. So when I say it's good news, I don't mean that they're going to recognize that it's good news. But it does mean that that it is good news, and they need to hear it. And we need to be willing to be like a little bit more like Paul, who was willing to be thought evil to share really good news. What else? What else do you see here in Peter? What's true of the word? Is it
1: something we should long for, is
0: it? Yeah, there's a sense of, the, of its deliciousness, you know? He says, he says uh, you're probably down in 2-2, am I right? So in 2-2 he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So there's something about it that's crave-worthy, that's delicious. That you know, like a baby longs to be nursed. You're like, yeah, I want that, right? Because if we do, if we'll take it, well, what happens? It's not just that it tastes good, but it's nutritious, right? We grow. We grow up, and we taste that not only is the word good, but that the Lord is good. So that's huge. There's something about it. It makes you wonder, like, if you don't, if you're not drawn to spend time in the Scriptures, if you don't have that craving, then then don't despair, because our cravings can be shaped, right? You love what you love by by a, by a incremental changes that take place in your life, you will come to love it by the tasting of it. Some things, some tastes we do acquire more and more of. And if you're like, I don't really want to have time every day that I'm going to read the Bible, but I'd want to want to, well, then make it easy. Five minutes, right? Get a translation that's easy. Lower the threshold. Make it, don't make it complicated and difficult. And don't do it at 5 a.m. If you hate getting up at 5 a.m., you know, like don't combine something that's difficult to do with something that you hate to do. Have a cup of coffee, get a translation you like, buy a comfy chair, and maybe get together with some friends or something, right? But do these things. You can, you can develop and shape your cravings. And this would be the kind of thing that's healthy to helpful if you, just, if you, if you, if you crave it. Okay, one or two more. It's imperishable, it's delicious, it's pure... Anything else? Yeah, Taylor? I think like whenever I read about the word in the Bible, it always comes to us It's it's been made. It comes to us like it came to Jonah. Yep. We never go back. Yeah, that's great, right? So he's, God is always the initiator, and we're the responders. So the word, com- the word comes to us, right, in all of life. So Lewis has this great passage where he says that our, role, our, our relationship to God is always mirror to light, female to male, um, he's got a bunch of things that are always like, I forget others in a little list there. But God is the great initiator, and we're the great responder. But we can, and we can do it. All right, here's the last observation, and i got to let you guys go. He bookends this passage with the same effect. Watch this. 122. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Well, how did? So what happened? So I was born again of this imperishable seed, blah, 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 word. But because I was born again, something has changed in my life. So that I have a sincere love for the brothers. I can love other people deeply from the heart. That's how he begins this section. Your ability to love was shaped, was determined by your time in the scriptures. By being born of this word, by being in the word. And then at the end of it, he's like, man, this is the word. It's amazing. You have it. It's preached to you. Therefore... 2-1, rid yourselves of all malice. This is the opposite of love. Of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every, time, of every kind. So he begins and ends. The, it's the whole middle of it is about the Word of God and all of its wonderful attributes. But because of the Word, we love well, and we're not malicious, envious, slanderous people. It's, it's the same thing. So we can, into, um, we can get into the Bible as if we're trying to just win at like Bible trivia. Like it's all knowledge, it's all data, it's all information, it's all intellectual insight. But according to Peter, this living word that has all these beautiful attributes, the outgrowth of it is love. That I will love people better. If I know the truth, if my heart is set, and, th- and th- think of how it works, right? If, if there is no hope, and I'm just kind of barely getting by, and this is a dog-eat-dog world, and i got to get what I can, well, then I am probably going to crawl across you to get what I need. Sorry, right? But I'm going to use you to my ends because nobody else is looking out for me, and I'm going to have to do what I have to do. And that's going to cause me to treat you as an object, as a, something I can utilize to my ends. But if I am so flush with provision and grace, everything I need, everything I need right now I have, everything I need in the world to come, I'm going to get so infinitely more than I deserve. Well, then I am completely resourced to be a different person. I can be generous with my time. I can be generous with my money. I can be patient with you because I know that he has been patient with me, right? And it absolutely has a transforming effect that I, my ability to love well is contingent upon my being soaked in the scriptures. So just, you can watch that in your life, right? If you find yourself, you're short-tempered and you're greedy and you're centered on yourself, well, one of the corrections to that is, man, am I not, am I failing to, to read, to receive, to meditate on, to believe all that has been told to me in the scriptures? And if so, we can correct it. And we can today, right now, set new habits and begin to be deeper partakers of all the treasures that we have in a living Word, so that we might love other people well. Because we're getting ready in a couple more weeks It's going to be time to love a lot of people well, including some people that are very difficult to love. That's where Peter's headed. Okay? That's all we got. So thanks for coming. We'll see you guys. (laughs)